0: Hi, Shelby here today in the podcast. I feel like I should have been recording this podcast for the past, you know, 45 minutes that Philip and I have been talking, but I am excited to welcome Philip Llanos to my interview today for the Genius Entrepreneur podcast. Has a wide variety of experience, an amazing story. I'm very excited to get into it. And it's got to, it's interesting because Philip and I work in the same podcast space, but we rarely talk to each other. And Philip is always the interviewer and very rarely the interviewee. So I'm excited to dig into his story a little bit. So Philip, introduce yourself.
1: Absolutely. I run a company called Own the Rhythm that does a lot of similar work to any personal branding company out there. Uh, But my goal is to try to make it more of a must-have than a nice-to-have for people. So that's a work in progress for me. I'll openly admit that. And yeah, I'm not used to being the guest on shows, but uh, I'm glad that I get to do this with you because I know that you not only understand the work that I do, um, but also, I mean, if uh, it's any indication of the conversation we've had, I also can see where you want to take things and how you want to innovate the same space. So for me, it's exciting. And being a part of SAV, I mean, how could I how could I not be excited to be on the show?
0: <laughs> right. It's uh it is exciting because there's so many opportunities. The network is so wide and so varied, and yet, yet you feel an interesting and specific niche in there. And I want to, I want to get into a little bit of your background and your story. I know some of your story and your background, but could you give the audience an overview of absolutely where you came from and how you came into this entrepreneur life in in branding and media?
1: The most important thing people should know about me is. It sounds corny and cliche, but I genuinely didn't intend to be in business. I really didn't. Uh, my the, I want to say up until I was, wow, uh, eighteen or so, I had aspirations of being a, an actor and a singer. So all of my efforts, day in and day out, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, were about entertaining people, creating an ambiance. In fact, seeking to cause an effect if you will, with my work. And I began to come face to face with an industry that has a lot of perversions, that has uh, certain lifestyle choices that I simply can't get along with. Not that there's anything wrong with drinking or smoking or going out and partying. I've done it. I just, it's not sustainable for my body. My body composition does not allow for me to do that and then still perform at high levels. I don't know anyone that can other than maybe Charles Bukowski. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, and so all those things started to pile up the further and further I got into it. Over the years, I continued to run into scammers and you know every industry has them. But there's something about Hollywood, it's just extra scammy if you're not in the right rooms with the right people. Right. right? And I wasn't going to be willing to learn Shakespeare either. And if the audition system is terrible. It's, prob- It's worse than almost anything in business I've ever seen. In fact, if you were to try to book entertainers and try to get a hold of the creative talent agencies to create some kind of symbiotic relationship, it's nearly impossible. And it's because it's so outdated in terms of its communication channels, as opposed to business, which continues to innovate. So when I moved to New York at 24 and I was already kind of weaning my way off of things, I gave it one last for raw in New York. I said, no, LA didn't work. And I get to, I get to New York and I start looking around and I noticed now there's a lot of ads here. I had never known I'd lived, I was born and raised in LA. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on set on orange is the new black. Right. And I start thinking like, maybe there's something more to this. Cause you know, you gotta go where the money flows sure, there's money in productions, but you don't control your own destiny. And when I saw the ads, I said, there are people spending money to be there. So I started looking into that space, got a bunch of opportunities for interviews because I'm well-read. I just, I'm a bookworm, right? So I read a lot. So
0: my book list is growing of the things that I need to read after I have a conversation with you. So yeah. (laughs) And
1: so when I, when I, When I walked into those interviews for marketing, I already understood the terminology, you know, whether it was pay-per-click, you know, uh, cost per conversion, lifetime value of a customer, SEO. I theoretically understood it all. And I just happen to be one of those people where if I read it, I can almost physically experience it. It's a really weird Mm -hmm. thing that happens in my being. And so without getting (laughs) woo-woo. And so I ended up getting offers for jobs instead of internships. I took one of them and that made all the difference because then I became the problem solver there for about five years and uh, single-handedly helped, you know, every company has this issue where they're like one of their clients is like 80% of their revenue and they were about to lose that client. And I didn't know anything about Google sheets, but I began to know and was able to create this concatenated report. If anybody's ever used Google sheets uh, into a cell reference dashboard that gave them an overview of their national offices in a very executive type of way where they could just quickly look at it. And because of that report, we were able to sustain that 80% revenue. And that's when they started having one-to-ones with me, like, Philip, if you were CEO, what would you be? Yeah. And that's when I started realizing, are they like grooming me? And they eventually started offering me positions and and promotions. And I started saying, if I can do all this here in an industry I had no original intention to do this for, what would it be like if I worked for myself? And so as I departed and they respectfully accepted that because I turned down their money instead of taking it and then leaving because I have integrity, right? the CEO became my mentor helped me make help make a few introductions for me which I don't take for granted made a bunch of mistakes over the phone and eventually found my way into being able to position myself as a podcast launcher of sorts and content strategy and I did this for large organizations like EO almost right out yeah. of the bat which is like a if you don't know what EO is it's like a contemporary to uh uh young Uh, professionals YPO or Vistage something along those natures Uh, right so off the bat I was in the room with big players now what I didn't know was they took me on because I was cheap (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hadn't
0: hadn't had the opportunity to position yourself yet yeah yeah. for sure yeah
1: but I'm a quick study that's what they didn't know so once they started asking for more I asked them for more too and then when they argued against it I told them well what what is the value of you getting the right guest on your show? Like, what is the actual value of that? Because I'm not charging you for what it costs for my time. I'm charging you for the value. And the minute I did that, there was a lot of friction between me and people in the org because they're limited because the organiz- organization mm-hmm. itself, although it invites entrepreneurs, is very corporate and not entrepreneurial in that sense. And so right. it's all about budget cutting and, and <laughs> you name it. And I res- I can respect that. It's just it's one of those things. Right. So over the years after that, I found my way into entrepreneur uh, through through some connections that I had made. I started hosting there, did over a thousand plus conversations there with the impression because I took a low, a low stipend for it. The impression that I was going to be named in the articles and because I was the one hosting most of the conversations. Uh, Eventually, he brought on a bunch of other hosts so they could expand and scale up. But my name was never mentioned in anything, even though that was the original agreement. My image was nowhere. I even helped them launch an Ink Magazine podcast. I was the only one on all those episodes, but it was their face. Now I don't know if this was intentional. I can't. I can't assume that, right? I can't be conspiratorial. But it just is the fact that that's what happened. And so, lucky enough for me, Jason eventually reached out and had me on the show. And it was a no-brainer to leave what I was doing there and start moving into this space while I do everything else. So that's kind of the shortest version I could come up with.
0: Yeah, there's a you have such an experience, and it's so. I mean, first of all, I think it's so commendable to say for you at such a young age to say no to the money and like take it out on your own. That that in its own entrepreneurial spirit is something to be said, because that's, that's scary. And, you know, maybe that's for me, for me, I have been in a career for multiple years before I decided to step away and take my journey. And so it, I, it's very commendable. And I, I think it's an important entrepreneurial step. it, it that is the critical one to like, step away from something and with not necessarily knowing what might be ahead i think that's that's one of the scariest moments but one of the most important for our listeners here because you are successful you did make connections it just took a little while to get there and i think that is that is key to any entrepreneurial journey and to understand that not everything is laid out for you that you need that you need to be ready for some unknowns and to change and it might not be exactly what you want it to be, but then it always ends up being good. So I think that's an important journey to talk about. The other, the other thing that sticks out to me from that conversation is that it, it's seen everything is so audience centered. You know, when you were in New York and you you love interacting with audience and just even communicating with you. Understand, you know, reading reports and reinterpreting them so they're more entertaining, more easily digestible. It's so, just having conversations with you. It's so much not about, it's about you, but it's equally about who you're speaking to. And I think that's such an Im- important piece of communication that is missed, is that there's a lot of people out there that do a lot of talking, but don't do a lot of listening or thinking about who they're talking to. And I think that's an imp- important message for entrepreneurs and anybody in business because communication is so central
1: absolutely I mean we we sort of hinted at this prior we were sort of uh, flirting with the idea of like just where where things have gone since the pandemic and Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things I ran into myself was I didn't realize it but I accidentally became antisocial not not a jerk right I wasn't rude to people but I just stopped spending time with anybody other than anyone in my immediate circle like and I don't I don't have a large circle. I know a lot of people, but I don't keep, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Dunbar's number, but there's only like 160 people you can actually have real connections with. And out of those hundred and sixty, only 50 you could invite to a party, like a large, you know, kind of banquet. And out of those, only 15 you would invite to an actual dinner. And out of those, only five will ever be your confidants, right? Somewhere along the way, I that whittled down to like three people. <laughs> and right. some people some people don't don't even have that, right? And in business, I learned the hard way, you cannot afford to be antisocial.
0: I agree with you. And I want you to expand on that. But I think that concept resonates with so many people and particularly entrepreneurs that were shocked by the fact that we couldn't go to chamber meetings anymore and we couldn't be in front of an audience anymore. And we're yearning for that. And then we're like, what do we do? So I think it's a it's a forced antisocial, but then maybe it gets a little comfortable. So Anything? Yes.
1: No, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And I'm sitting there wondering like, oh, is there something wrong with my systems and processes, my SOPs? No. You, I just somehow silently talk about, people are talking about quiet quitting. What about right. quieting the social, right? Like it's so important. And we just, most of us, and especially myself, haven't uh, adapted to that. Sure, I do podcast calls all the time, right? That's not the same thing as interacting with people. (laughs) It's not, right? And we do our best work when we can turn off our brain and have it compartmentalized. I don't know if uh, I'm a Mac user, but anyone who's ever used Windows in the past, and I'm sure many of us have, there was a function called the disk defragment, right? That would sort of clean up all the loose files and whatever, you know, sometimes you have duplicates and what have you. I think it's called something else now, like a storage sense or something like that on the new Windows 11. But that same concept, our brain doesn't get a chance to do that if all we do is work. and And if we don't interact with new energies and new ideas so that we turn this off for a second and let it sort of process what's occurred, right? And I personally don't live enough of my life. I live next to the beach and never go. So for anyone listening, antisocial is more than not just hanging out with people it's also just not interacting with your environment because communication is key even to things that you know are around you every day you see that guitar yeah how, how much do I communicate with that guitar because that's what it is if I pick it up I'm communicating with it I'm feeling it I'm building an affinity to it right I know it sounds abstract but it's because these are the fundamentals of, of life how often are we bridging the gaps between realities of the places we want to be, the things we want to feel, the people we want to see. And if we don't do that in business, I mean, what are we doing? You know?
0: Right. If we're not building community, if we're not building those connections and we're not, we're not and, and giving value. Yes. But it's more about giving value. It's more about engaging that value mm-hmm. and how can you build each other and how can you build how can you exchange that value but yes how can we use that to get to the next level or to you know whatever level of business or how can you play you know to explore those own talents to be able to help you socialize and meet more people and then also help others do that too to build that community it's so important
1: absolutely 100 agree with
0: you yeah it's interesting i ask a question about so when you decided to step out into the entrepreneur and do the entrepreneur thing rather than take the money and all that did you have an idea what skills what core you know I always ask about your core genius because I feel that your genius is something that's intuitive to you something that you just know how to do it's something that's second nature to you so did you feel that? Did you feel that? Gosh, I can make a business out of this. I'm, I'm really good. I'm good. I'm intuitive. I know how to read people. I know how to read situations. I can make a business out of this. Or was it more abstract than that?
1: So I'm glad you asked that. Um, I've only recently come to know who I am as a person, right? I'm 33. And when I did that, I was probably like, I don't know, 24, 25, 25. Uh, Which is, like I think you mentioned, relatively young to be doing that, although there are many people who are like 18 and 16 being entrepreneurs now through the internet. But the way I did it, I mean, if if I looked back on it and I knew what I know now, I probably would have kept the job and built it on the side over time and still had that respectful conversation because it's totally possible. But there's a reason why I ended up living, and I wrote about this in a little book. My book was just a bucket list thing. It's probably poorly edited, but it's out there, right, um, on Amazon and all that. But basically, I, there's a reason why I ended up living in a in an office space, like a box. I mean, it didn't even have windows in the jewelry building in the jewelry district of downtown Los Angeles, where it smelled like hookah and something burning for some reason, right? I was living in that because it was only four hundred dollars a month rent, showering at the gym. This is embarrassing, but it, looking back on it, it was worth it for me. And eating one slice of pizza a day because I didn't have any money, because I didn't have any revenue. Because I jumped ship, moved from New York to Los Angeles, and thought it was going to be all you know twigs and giggleberries. But it, it was—it was none of that, right? It was terrible. It was horrible. I was broke. I was scared, and I felt like I made the biggest mistake of my life. And I told myself, okay, well, I have a little credit card. I'm gonna go get a co-working space so that I'm not working out of this godforsaken hellhole and only sleep here when necessary. And I remember I had like three dollars in the bank, like like nothing. And I was like, How am I gonna do this? And I was like, what am I even doing? And that's when my mentor, this is where it really began. Because when he called me and he's like, So how's it going? You know, that's why you left us. I would I'd love to check in on you. And I said, not well, <laughs> not at all. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm like, and he's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. I, I want to make a living doing what I love, right? What do you love? Well, I was an entertainer, right? It's funny. I have, I have all these skills and all this know-how, but I, I almost stepped into learned helplessness out of a reaction to the survival effect that kicks in when you go from earning by the hour To earning based on value, but I didn't know it at the time. And so, so he said, okay, well, what's one skill that comes to mind right off the bat that you know you can do for people? So immediately, what he was doing was trying to get me to shift from, you know, trying to go because that same work that you spend looking for a job could be put into looking for a client. It's the same thing. Identify where the alignment meets, right, and what you're going to be trading is either time or value, right? And But I didn't know all this at the time. I said, I don't know, editing audio from all my time in music. Obviously, when I was at the agency, I spearheaded the podcast. He's like, okay, so then just tell people you're going to help them watch your podcast. He just just threw it out. That's the way Joe Applebaum is. And uh, I promise I'll introduce him. And I was like, okay. So I did that. He's like, here are a few people you can afford to make mistakes with. Call them and just get it out of your system. Sure enough, I did. Didn't go well. But that's really where things started to take shape for me. And I got it out of my system, all the butterflies. I knew I was going to fail on purpose. Right. Um, right. And in doing so, I was like, okay, I think I stop, I think I, I understand what I'm trying to tell people that I can help them with. Um, so in the meantime, I immediately kickstarted my own show that's still out there. It's got like 12 episodes on it called um, uh, The Blueprint Series. And the first couple of episodes were geared towards speaking to people who have developed to great success content models and how they worked whether it was a podcast and newsletter or what have you and then the later episodes were focused on careers but it was all to be used as a case study for what i was doing right that's later how i started talking to a few clients like eo uh because later once i was ready i was put in front of them and this other person josh josh rubenstein and uh, i i secured a website deal because i do web web development web design right and and uh because of all the skills I have and, and a podcast launch at the same time. And I closed them for like $10,000. So I flew back to New York, which is crazy to go from zero to that.
0: Right. To that for sure. Yeah. So I went
1: back to New York and I did the job, you you know, interviewed him, got all his episodes up. He runs a construction company, a builder company called J builders out of New York. It was awesome. And I moved back to New York because I was like, all right, maybe maybe all my clients are in New York right? And then I was like, wait a minute, if I'm doing all this for business, I could have done this for acting and music, the same hustle. I don't know why. And this is, this is the hardest part about identity and habits, right? Is I hadn't fully accepted that I was clearly half decent at business because my identity was tied to who I was, not who I'm becoming. So it slowed my progress because I went back. And that was when I finally made the final draw. It was clearly not working out for me. It's just not the same dynamics. And I walked across the Brooklyn Bridge and told myself, is this what I want? Across the whole walk, why am I not doing the things that are required? Like, you know, BSing and rubbing elbows with people that I could care less about. It's not the same. They don't, they don't, it's not a meritocracy where business really is. And that's when I made the promise to myself that I was going to leave all that behind. And that's when things started to change. And eventually. I got more clients and started to create something semi sustainable, but, you know, I'm still a work in progress because I never made it past the freelancer to some contractors, which is how I usually run every now and then I'll get somebody who's better at me than something and never into the small business, which is like now I'm like running with a pretty regular set of people to entrepreneur where now I'm raising capital and leveraging mass pe- mass amounts of people and you know creating visions and so there's levels to that and I know where they are because I've interviewed over 2000 2500 people at this point I who know, do all so this weird. right yeah. but I'm still personally not there yet even though I can deliver all that massive value it's not about just me anymore and I need to be that's where I'm at you know
0: gosh I think there's so many key things in that story. First of all, though, about how your mentor reached out to you. And I think that that gets into the whole, you can't build business without relationships. And it's okay to reach out to mentors or previous business partners or college prof- whatever. If you have somebody you trust and they're going to watch out for you, it's so key to have those relationships, whether it's a formal business relationship or not. And I think that's, you know, just talking about the whole—you can't build business without with being antisocial. That's that's something that's so, that's really key. So true. I mean, it's so true. And and what can we do? You know, just to think about think about our listeners. It's like maybe you're in a good space in business. You, you can make that impact for somebody else. And if you're looking to change or transition or move somewhere else, talk to somebody who's in that space. And I think that's even just small actions like that can really make a big impact I think that's a, that's a huge lesson that that you shared with us so I appreciate that you that's it's a very vulnerable place to be so it's really good that you shared that with us thank you for that
1: I, I find that it's part of the reason why I am today and why I'm able to connect with people if there's a curiosity there the way that I am is I, I think it serves to understand that I grew up without any parents. Uh, I never tell people this, but I think it's important that I start doing it. Oh. By the time I was eight years old, my mother was nowhere to be found because she herself was a runaway um, American woman who, you know, ran away from home and tried to, you know, fell into gangs and what have you. And my father had full-blown amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. By the time I was eight years old, so I got passed around a lot. So part of my upbringing in life. Was learning how to adapt to environments quickly and how to make first impressions as fast as possible out of survival. Right. So, me moving to New York, that was also not just part of my entertainment, right. But it was also like part of like the fact that like my father had eventually, after 20 years, which is unheard of with ALS, finally passed away. We just, he just happens to be a Mexican immigrant. So, there isn't that much like uh, interest uh, because he doesn't have the funds or the relationships to be able to get researchers to look at why he was able to sustain that for 20 years, right? So there's a whole whole thing happening there. And part of what made me give up on acting and entertainment was that I knew I couldn't fall back on anybody or anything, which made it doubly scary when I made the choice to go work for myself and found myself eating a slice of pizza on credit cards. You know, like all of that, And all the survival, you know, uh, uh, cortisol that was running through me, like all of that has pushed me to great depths of despair, but also to to revelations that I would have never known about how important it is to care about others and come from the other side of the table. If anything, sit on the same side of the table. You know, that's why I have the ability to connect with people, because I know pain. Right. I know struggle. And what do we talk about in business? Pain points. Mm-hmm. right and yet we say it but do we really understand that it's a pain that someone is experiencing is that a
0: marketing tool or yes, is it a yes real connection and you would probably it'd probably be in the first category not the second so
1: pain, for sure right where wow. are they hurting and you as a doctor as a professor of what you do what prescription based on your diagnosis can you offer them right? Like, I'm not saying I know all things. That's the other side of this story, right? Is I have the humility to admit what I don't know. But the best part about business is you don't have to act like you know everything. You could say, I have a partner that takes care of that angle, you know? Or that's a good question. I don't know anything about that yet. But based on what work I have done, I think it's an easy thing to discover and figure out. And yet consultants and business owners and entrepreneurs have this imposter syndrome. Believe me, if sure. anybody feels like an imposter, it's me. I don't even know how I got here. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm going to figure it out.
0: But I know how you, at least, I I don't know. I'm not the all-knowing. But the other important thing I think about this whole journey and the vulnerability that you have in this sharing your story and sharing your entrepreneurial journey is that you're constantly pushing yourself to learn and You know, you talked about you're an avid reader again, my new reading list that I have developed since I just had a conversation with you. It's uh, you're pushing yourself to learn and it's not to know the answers, it's to better yourself and to better your position and to better understand yourself. And, you know, you're only 33, you're pretty young. And so that it is, you're still in a space where you have the opportunity to create that part of yourself and where you discover more about yourself and through your trials and tribulations and losses and, and, and your journey you've created, you've just kept growing and learning. And I think that's as an entrepreneur that we need to be dynamic and move and shift with the pandemic, with the potential recession that's coming. We need to be, have, be aware of those, adapt to those surroundings and your adaptation skills seem to have served you well, for sure.
1: I try to drill this in my head because books really save my life. That's why I'm such an avid reader. And one of the things I always try to tell myself, speaking to like this potentially looming recession or what have you, right? And this thing about antisocial, the running themes in this conversation is in the seven habits of highly effective people. I literally have it right here as as I've done many times in our conversation. Yeah, on my back self yeah. too. Right. Yep. The main thing I took from this, because there's a bunch of good stuff there, but the main thing I took from it is he said, you know, independence is not the pinnacle of human excellence. And I'm using my language, but this is the concept that he put forward. Interdependence is the pinnacle of human excellence. And that's way harder for people to get around. Many people walk around, you know, I'm independent. I'm going to, but that's antisocial behavior. Sure. You get to a level where you can stand independently, mm-hmm. but that's only supposed to serve for you to be interdependent, right? And many of us, especially myself, has been guilty of this. I simply don't allow myself to be part of something bigger than who I am so that we can create bigger impact. And that's what I love about SAB and what it stands mm-hmm. for, right? And anyone who's in any part of you know any chamber, any entrepreneurial or business group, even BNI, although I know some people have mixed yep. feelings about that. Right. And end of the day, is how are you getting around to being a part of something bigger than yourself? I try to ask myself this and I don't always live up to it every day, but like, who did I help today? In what capacity? Even if it's a small nudge, like having this conversation, if it even just reaches one person and it makes them either more grateful for where they come from or it makes them feel more inspired to go even to double down on whatever they're doing, triple down on whatever they're doing, then i've created impact and did something today right that's why i'm always giving book recommendations cuz it may not be monetizable but the impact is always felt there's always a ripple effect to what you do you know that's just the, the law of nature you plant a seed in soil that's fertile and you water it it will bear fruit eventually you know
0: absolutely and when you're a part of a community being in the strategic advisor board and understanding the power of those connections and the power of the experience that people have. There's so many seasoned business owners within that community that we can draw from their experience and, and also build together. I think there's just the, to not be isolated and antisocial in our in our business building like there's many opportunities to elevate everybody together and I think that's an amazing amazing quality of that group and we should continue to do that we're you know that's why we put the road publishing partners together because the my dog just walked in pardon me <laughs> <laughs> that's how we put the publishing group together too because publishing and get, you know, you're a published author yourself, you know, it's not that easy to put a book together. And, but it's more powerful when you have a team and a team that works together to help not only produce a book, but your book then becomes a cornerstone of your business. And that's a tremendous, a tremendous, I guess, asset to have. So
1: it's, it's so true. So many will talk about it, wish about it but the only way to do it is to do it yourself or find a team that can help you do it. And it's much easier to find a team because the feedback loop is invaluable that you don't get from just working by
0: yourself. Absolutely. I talk about that all the time in communication, feedback loop, how it's critical because we talk a lot, but we don't get the feedback, the critical feedback that we need to be able to, to change something or to be able to make an impact. I think that's a That's an incredible value. I want to check out your book. What is it?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So it's called Pushing Past the Norm. It's on it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, I self published all of it. In fact, after doing that, I did a much better job for the other people. I actually helped them publish (laughs) their books, right? And so I've been meaning to go back to correct some of the. I paid an editor, and there were still massive spelling errors everywhere you looked, and it, it it made me realize, like, wow. It's what they, it's true what they said in the in the E myth uh, by Michael Gerber the entrepreneurial myth right the E myth uh, yeah. there's three levels to it there's the technician there's the manager and there's the visionary entrepreneur and each each level needs to be you know processed so, SOP'd out and somewhere along the way I hired help but didn't put in a manager to go in and review the work. So when I finally published it, cause my deadline was my birthday back, I don't know, a couple of years, like 2017, 2018 or whatever on February 6th, like I got it done and that was great. And then ever since then, I've been doing so many other projects and I've, I've completely ignored that. And it sucks cause you know, that's an indication of how many other things are you ignoring in business that you know are important, but not urgent. I know everybody's heard about this, right? And we do it every time. And it's so easy to just take one step forward every day. If I just got rid of one spelling error, right? And it's real easy, find spelling error, right? With the with an editor, right. one spelling error over a course of 20 days or whatever, I'd eventually get it done and then just re-upload the manuscript. But you'd think it'd be that easy. And yet those are the hardest things to do or the things we know are good for ourselves, which is why I suspect what Seth Godin said about self-sabotage is so important. Half the time, why we self-sabotage has a lot to do with the fact that we don't want to be then seen as a person who really knows what they're doing. Because the minute that we do admit to ourselves that we know what we're doing, we now have to live up to that. It's much easier to be like, well, I mean, of course I'm not doing well. Like, you know, look at these mistakes that are all around me. It's a it's almost in a way, an inverted way of creating a safe spot, a comfortable zone. I'll never finish these things so that I'll always be like, of course, it didn't work out. Because if all that was done, you'd have no excuses for yourself. And excuses are the safest place to be.
0: Absolutely. And you avoid failure, right? That you don't. Because it never
1: happened. Yeah, it
0: never (laughs) happened. Yeah, that's right. If you don't try it. Then I yes, I feel like I have that conversation all the time with my <laughs> kids, right? But it's so true. It's like if you you don't know you don't know unless you're gonna unless you try it and you and that's have
1: to make, that's to funny make. you say because I wrote the book specifically for kids like for high school kids because I grew up without parents. I figured how can I write? I I reverse engineered my life in like fourteen lessons. It's not some gimmick. Oh, like 14 steps. Like, I legitimately was like, these are the lessons I could think of to cut the learning curve in half of going from being, you know, someone coming out of high school to turning into a full blown adult in the world, you know? Yeah. And so I tried to reverse engineer what I had to learn, forced to learn to survive because I grew up so young, you know, like living, you know, emancipated at 14 and working at a pizza place and paying rent. And, you know, it was just me and my, 22 year old cousins and you know trying to make something and i'm lucky that i even had cousins my life would have been a lot harder even if i didn't have that right? As right if it wasn't hard enough already so yeah i wrote the book mostly for that even though i think i listen to my audiobook sometimes when i'm walking or running and i'm like i could take my own advice damn
0: <laughs> those core thing, that your core genius that is ingrained in you from your life experience that you learned yeah Absolutely and it probably influences your business today. Absolutely. I have I have some questions about your experience in entertainment and music and you you said yourself you interviewed over 2500 over 2500 interviews and which I think is an incredible number. Uh looking at my interview palette I don't have that many but hopefully I'll get there. I love interviewing. I love the communication. I think it's a lot of fun. What would you say I'm in the communication space and so when you interview people, what are some, what are the what are some tips you can give us to be a more engaging interviewee um, to be a more effective communicator to get our message across easier because that's your space, that's your genius, you're in this brand connecting with your audience. How can we be more effective as business owners to connect with our audience?
1: Sure. Um, So I've been promising people for like the last two years. So talk about, you know, putting money where my mouth is. I've been meaning to finish writing this book I've been working on called Conversational Power. Right. And it's a working title. And there's so many frameworks that have just become a natural part of my personality. But I think the most important one as a host or as a business owner who's looking to connect, if you have trouble just connecting with people in general, because you feel like you're supposed to be doing something. And that's why, because first of all, you're not supposed to be doing anything other than listening. Okay. Right. <laughs> but people feel like people make things harder than it has to be. I got to be doing something. So they go and learn neuro-linguistic programming and they go and learn all these things to try to control and like control this. Why? Because entrepreneurs have a certain degree of control they need in order Mm -hmm. to feel like things are moving in a way. It's a hustler's mentality, right? And I I say this, you can't hustle your way into real love, real friendship, right? Or healing. There's no hustling that, right? right? But here is a framework that I came across in all the reading that I've done that I'm going to present among with other frameworks in that book that I'm I'm writing um, that I think really helps people, scientifically proven actually, to help people connect with with others because it was designed for those who suffer from not being able to understand facial recognition patterns to help inform you of how to speak to someone so there's actually a proven framework that you can use starting to after listening to this to actually help you connect deeper with people value
0: add right here <laughs> right here
1: right now and it's called it's called the intimacy scale okay and this is a derivative work of a psychologist named Eric Byrne, who created something called transactional analysis. All right, I've done my research on this. I promise you, I wouldn't lead you astray. So here's, here's how it works the, there's an acronym called Stop I'm You, right? And it's essentially a circle because everything starts in silence, but also the deepest relationships can exist in silence, right? So the acronym is Stop I'm You, right? And so it's like silence, things, objects, places. That's the stop, right? Most people live on the shallow end of conversations. And, oh, the Lakers, yeah, the Lakers. Oh, Paris, France, yeah, Paris, France. You know, uh, oh, these shoes, yeah, these shoes. Oh, these cars, yeah, these cars. Things, objects, and places. And you can watch the ball, the ping pong ball being tossed back and forth on a table. These shoes, yep, these shoes, right? If you want to push the envelope, you take it one step further from silence, things, objects, places, to philosophies and ideas, right? Stop, I'm you. So philosophies and ideas is a critical juncture to watch for. And it's like, it's like you can gauge where they're at. So, oh, yeah, the, uh, these shoes. Yeah, these shoes. Well, have you ever paid attention to the way they're manufactured? You're starting to talk about philosophies or ideas, right? Personally, yeah. I believe. And if they write if they back, I don't know. I just wear the shoes. They're not ready for that yet. So you got to go back to passing the ping pong ball to things, object, places, or you find another way of phrasing what you're trying to talk about with philosophies and ideas. No, I I really think that fundamentally, like who even decided shoes had to look the way they do? They could have, you know, you see, so, and if you, and if they engage that, you've now increased the intimacy between you and that person, because now you're moving on to philosophy and ideas. This opens the gateway for being able to invite someone to share about themselves personally. Do you remember the first time you got your first pair of shoes and you can remember? Like For me, I think my dad took me to pay less and I, yeah. you know, and those were my first shoes and they always had this interesting, unique smell. It's a pay less shoe thing. Right. Right. Uh, and so now you're asking about them. Well, as for me, my first pair of shoes was, and now you're in like the me and you stop. I'm you right? the M and the Y, and now you can close it out with us. It's funny. We both have shoes. We both have this thing in common. Now I'm using a very basic, absurd example. But it's really this progression. And you watch on the scale, on the wheel, where someone is at any point in time in the balance. And this is how you yourself can sort of use your sight and all your senses to gauge where somebody is. Right now, I do this automatically. It's not like I'm sitting there like, all right, now I'm going to push the car. It may feel right. like that at first if you are someone who really struggles with that. But fortunately for me, through all the years of entertainment, I learned in my acting class, which is another, and this will be the final one I promise, framework that I can combine, which is why I'm writing this book called Conversational Power. In all my years of acting training, I learned about active listening and how it's not just one term, it's actually three levels, right? Would you like to would you like to hear the three levels? <laughs> I think I
0: know that, but I want to hear them.
1: Yes. Okay. There's yeah. there's actively accepting, actively rejecting, or actively confused. And you need to be able to clearly demonstrate either one if you want someone to have a strong level of communication with you. So if someone says, you know, I believe I can fly, right? If you actively accept that, you go, yeah, I actually, I believe I can fly too, right? Then you have a conversation on that level because you've listened in that way. Or if you go... I I mean, I think it depends what you mean by fly, right? So now you're actively <laughs> rejecting or you could be actively confused. What do you mean by that, right? And then that's where curiosity should take place. But at any given time, all you have to do is listen actively through those three channels. So again, this book that I've been trying to work on and I keep promising everyone I'm going to finish with all the frameworks, right? Is the intimacy scale with active modes of listening. And eventually you develop this thing inside you that just makes you capable of interacting with anyone on any level. The
0: genius of your own intuition. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I can't wait for that book. I know. I I, I really need to get it done. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get to the point where you want, need an editor or a book coach or a publisher, you know who to contact. So just. I,
1: I need to. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But there's a, it helps to have that. I, I just a recently published author myself. It is uh, it's important to have that accountability.
1: Part. Yeah.
0: <laughs> because sometimes those ideas just sit there, and we don't get them out on paper, and we think about these things, and then it's like, ah, we can always put that off. So.
1: It's terrible. I have the outline. I have brief chapters, and I just haven't sat down and finished it.
0: You <laughs> will get there. It'll it'll happen when it's supposed to. That's that's what you've got to relegate yourself to. But then your ideas can become more refined and focused during that time. So this is true. So it's just not ready for the paper yet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell yourself that.
1: That's a good one. Well,
0: <laughs> this is what a what a treat of a conversation. And I'm excited to learn more about you and your story and what kind of transformation you can create for clients that you have. Uh, Just with the communication aspect and and the personal brand and how that brand can connect with others, how that becomes a not only transformative experience for them to discover their brand, but how they can then connect that to their clients. I think that's such a, you know, we talk about how it's something that kind of gets mixed in with everything else, but I think it's the foundational piece that, every entrepreneur should go through to be able to really ask themselves those fundamental questions. Uh, I think your business is critical too.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know we're in the same line of work and I, I think yeah. it's, it's it never ceases to surprise me how many people treat personal branding. First of all, they treat it like a creative process, which first of all, business itself is a creative process. So don't mm-hmm. undermine the creatives, Right. Uh, Sure, they may not be as savvy at sending a bill as you are, but their work (laughs) is instrumental nonetheless, right? And a lot of people do take for granted what goes into the creative process because it's like my mentor, Joe Appelbaum, the same guy, told me when I told him, you know, none of my creative friends, musicians, actors seem to be consistent or have any work ethic. And he said, well, how do you expect them to respect your work ethic when they don't have one of their own? They don't even know what it looks like. Right. So a personal brand, a person who's missing a personal brand or a clear clarity of who they are and how they're supposed to be presenting themselves can't respect someone who does uh, most of the time, because unless they're super like it's unavoidable, like Gary V. Right. Like there's then they respect them because, oh, everybody. I mean, clearly everybody loves them, but that's just jumping on the bandwagon. Because that's not right. how we started. And everybody knows that. And yet they refuse to see how foundational it is. Even Gary Vee said, they asked him, if you had to choose between continuing to promote VaynerMedia or yourself, which build, which brand would you build? He said, I would go with my personal brand. Because everywhere I go, those companies will benefit from. But VaynerMedia is just VaynerMedia. Yep. You see what I'm saying? And yet there are people out there every day taking it for granted, right? It's just because they don't want to do the work. They think it's a nice to have. It's not. And if you're doing well in business already without it, imagine what you could do if you had it. And if there's any clients that you constantly run into who are terrible clients, that's because you didn't get your personal brand right. So the flag you were waving flagged down the wrong people. Exactly. And so then you're saying they're going, ah, I hate it when I get these clients. Well, yeah, you haven't done the work. And if you're you're either going to hate it or love it, but it's a fact that you need to do that.
0: Yeah, because that's the best way to match and that's the best way to match to your ideal client is within how you communicate it. It's all about that. Communication is maybe a soft skill, but it's the essential skill that you need for business because it's how you execute all those plans. And it's the, it's, you can't have it. It's very challenging to have a successful business without a good communication strategy behind it. So Hundred Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's uh, because we do, we work in a similar space, but it's a, uh, it's so, it's such an important message for people to hear.
1: You know, one of my favorite things to say, this is my axiom for everything. Okay. One of my favorite things to say to everybody at all times in general, you'll hear it eventually if you're around me long enough is there's nothing worse than the right answer to the wrong question. So if you're asking yourself, like, what's the point of having a personal brand? No matter what answer you get, it's probably not going to help you, right? So what I encourage you to do is to start considering maybe deeper questions. Not what's the point of having a personal brand, but what could you do if you had a strong personal brand that you can't do because you don't have one? You see how that's different? The minute you ask the right question, you unlock actionable progress. So when you ask a terrible question, like, why does this always happen to me? Literally doesn't matter what the answer to that is, it's not going to help you do anything, get anywhere. When you ask a question that actually has power behind it, and it may not be the first question you ask, you got to sit in the question. But even that sitting in the problem and going, what's the real question here is more valuable? That's part of personal brand. What question do you need to be addressing that people are asking? Because if you're not answering a question out there, then you don't have a personal brand, you have an ad.
0: <laughs> right an ad that may or may not support your personal brand and your message and your transformative power for sure.
1: Yeah. So I just want to invite and challenge everyone to find out what question are you operating under and is it pushing you forward or hindering you? Cause even if you're doing well, there's no limit in business to what you can do. It's the, it's the only game in town that you can play until you're 106. So <laughs> right. you might as well understand that and do better. Because if, you, if you're already comfortable just because you're killing it and you're doing better than me, well, then get ready because I'm coming for you and I'm going to eat your lunch. <laughs> so you're either staying sharp
0: or you're falling behind. You're falling behind. That's, I think that's the best piece of advice to end the interview on. Absolutely. If you're not moving forward, you're you're going to fail, right? If you're not self-improving, if you're not moving the needle forward, if you're not discovering new and different ways to engage your audience, then you're not going to succeed in business.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Philip, where can we find you? Where can, where, where can we find all this knowledge of this, (laughs) you know, this book that's coming out? You already have a book. So where can, where can our audience find you?
1: So, the best thing you could do is you can legitimately just go to my website. Although, to be honest with you, like everyone else in business, I probably haven't updated in a long time, right? So, Philip Lanos, right? Two L's in Philip for twice is lovely. PhilipLanos, right? dot com. Or uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, actually, like predominantly. Yeah. And you are, I'm very approachable. I never want to give someone the impression that I'm not there is not a bone in my body that has enough ego to think I'm ever better than anybody. And I don't just say that for, 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 you know, noise bites, sound bites. I mean that I feel like I can learn something from everyone and why, because I really could. And that's how I stay so awesome. You know? So please approach me on LinkedIn, Philip Lano's, or go to my website. There should be an area that gives you links to whatever you need, or if you want, feel free to email me at philiplanos at gmail.com. That's my personal email. I keep my inbox pretty clean because I'm OCD. I've never had 72,000 messages in it. So I can actually handle my inbox. So feel free to hit me up.
0: Absolutely. So amazing to know more about your story and people can reach out to you. You're so open to that. I appreciate that you came on my interview today for the Genius Entrepreneur listeners and told us your story because it helps other people envision how they can transform their genius into a product and something that's monetizable and that you open yourself so that people can contact you and you'll have a conversation with them easiest conversation i've ever had and (laughs) i look forward to having more conversations with you and yeah i there's so many possibilities ahead so any other final thoughts for our listeners
1: you know what I'm just very grateful that uh I'm not used to being on this side of the table so I'm very grateful <laughs> that you gave me the chance and I look forward to seeing if anybody bites and actually reaches out otherwise don't feel bad I'll eventually see you because I'm, I'm coming for everybody
0: <laughs> you're coming for everybody you're not going away you're going to make a big impact you know how you know how to do that you're no longer antisocial I'm
1: no longer it's time. Antisocial.
0: let's go get it done
1: Thank you so So much.
0: Thank you again. And listeners, we'll see you next time when we talk to another genius entrepreneur that has created a business out of their passion and their genius. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Culture, Communication and Brand Moments with your host, Shelby Joe Long. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we will see you on the next episode.